That's how you retain folks in the workplace, giving them time off, treating them well, listening to them, surveying them. Like there's a thousand different engagement factors, but people, and it's an overused cliche, but it's totally true. Like people don't quit companies, they quit bosses. Hey, investors, you are listening to the Investing to Win podcast, the show dedicated to empowering investors to achieve financial freedom and live your best life. This show is committed to offering honest conversation between investors, common sense strategies, real-time market updates, and professional guidance to achieving financial freedom. Investing doesn't have to be super hands-on or complicated. We are all about passive investments with real gain, so you have freedom of time and money. Your host is none other than Garrett Wong, who brings decades of experience in buying, renovating, and managing cash flow investment properties. Thanks for being here and get ready to invest to win. Hello there, audience. My name is Garrett Wong, your host of the Investing to Win podcast. I just finished a really great conversation with Derek Rallstone of Stone HR Strategies. He's a local HR consultant here in Winnipeg. It was a great episode. We had lots of content, lots of uh, really great nuggets for the audience to take home. You know, we dove into the why and how you might want to hire your first employee, why you might want to outsource that rather than trying to do it all yourself. And, and then we really got granular on, on remote employees and how to set yourself up for success with your remote employees. So I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly had a blast. Enjoy. Hello, audience. This is Garrett Wong, your host of the Investing to Win podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Derek Rallstone, a friend and associate that I've known for several years in the industry. Derek, welcome. Thanks very much for having me, Garrett. It's, uh, it's an honor uh, to be on your show. Excellent. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? You know, what's your story and your background? Sure. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a human resource uh, consultant. Uh, I've been doing that for about eight or nine years now. Uh, I started my career uh, in human resources, working for, for some big companies like Cargill and Pepsi and Suncor Energy and Bell, as a starting as an HR manager and then as an HR director. I went a different route into academia 10 years ago and was a, a prof or instructor at Red River College here in Winnipeg. My wife had encouraged me to go in that direction because after 20 years in HR, she told me I needed a job where I wasn't getting yelled at as much, So, which it was. And it was great. I loved it. And I loved teaching. I found I had some free time in between classes. And uh, when some of my colleagues seemed to go for coffee a lot, I thought maybe I could help some companies. Maybe there's companies, not like the kind I work for, but smaller companies like yours where they don't have an HR person, but they need HR help and they don't want to call their lawyer and they don't want to call employment standards. And so, but they just might need some help. Maybe it's once a week, maybe it's once a year. And so I started working for some uh, smaller organizations that maybe have 10 or 20 or 40 employees and, uh, and helping them out on a variety of HR things like search, like maybe terminations, maybe employee surveys, do a lot of uh, policy work. My master's degree is in uh, compensation, uh, so I know a little bit about pay, so I'm able to use that and, and help helping companies. So I had about 10, then I had maybe about 20 
clients and then I had 30. And then all of a sudden I had to start saying no to a lot of stuff because the teaching was getting in the way. So five years ago, I went uh, full speed uh, against my wife's wishes and, uh, and started Stone HR Strategies on a full-time basis. And we've never looked back and uh, it's, it's going well. There's people always need HR healthcare and you know that. Well, you've helped us out quite a bit and uh, it's uh, amazing, you know, your business model and, and your story there. I, I find it uh, fascinating that you, you kind of did this in your spare time and you sprinkled water on it and all of a sudden it just kind of grew and you were forced to make a choice. I mean, that's the best thing uh, as an entrepreneur. It's a good thing. It's so funny you mentioned that because, you know, I did a master's degree in business, right? I know a little bit about business planning and, and that was part of the curriculum. And I didn't do any of that stuff. So unlike some others that you'll talk to, I'm sure, that have a much more focused business plan, you're right. I kind of did it like, I guess, kind of like it, to use the parlance of the times, like a side hustle, right? As just a way, because I had to take a bit of a pay cut from being an HR director to being a prof. And so I just kind of started doing some of this stuff on the side without that much of a plan. And it just worked out. Uh, I guess I'm I guess I'm just lucky. Gee, not using your degree. I think I can. Uh, I, can I think that resonates with me being an ex-science guy oh, with yeah. a master's degree yeah. and being in real estate. I use I use it every day, but I didn't use it in the business planning. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, so I have to say, like when we met a few years back at the PPMA trade show, the professional property managers. You know, who knew it would turn out into, you know, a years long business relationship. So I have to tell a bit of a story which fascinates me, even though it might embarrass you a little bit. So a few years ago, I lost my admin manager, as you know, and I was going crazy to try and put out ads, conduct interviews. Uh, I remember being impressed with your presentation at the PPMA trade show the year before, but all I could remember was your name, right? So I went to our friend Google and I looked you up. And I found your company, but I also found a reference to Jeopardy. So at the risk of taking uh, a bit of a time travel into the past, tell me about this. I'm, I'm suitably impressed. Yeah. You would also find, although you'd never know by looking at me, that I still have a Manitoba record for sprints when I was uh, 13 years old. No one's been able to break it. So, oh, wow. uh, But on the, on the Jeopardy stuff, I'll continue the bragging. Uh, I was down in Los Angeles with an old girlfriend in uh, 95 or 96. I was pretty good at the trivia. Uh, when I went to St. Paul's High School, we were provincial champions at, in Reach for the Top way back in the 80s. Oh, right. I remember and, that. Um, uh, so I thought I'd try this test. And uh, I, in those days, I think they did it about once a week in the, in the studio audience of, uh, of Jeopardy. And, and you'd go down there and you'd, they, at, there's 50 questions that are on the TV. I, I get asked this a lot because people wonder how, how that actually worked. And uh, 50 questions come up at about eight second intervals. So it's a real like quick and not like top of board questions, bottom of board questions. And you have like a, a sheet of paper and you just have to write down 50 answers, not in the form of a question. And um, yeah, it was a real shotgun. And uh, then you just kind of wait uh, while they, they did a, a show and you'd wait. And then they came back out and they asked, you know, uh, apparently it's the top five percentile. Uh, in this case, yeah, there was maybe 100 people there. They asked three of us to stay back. Uh, my girlfriend at the time didn't make it. And um, so she had to wait for me. Anyway, 
and uh, it went pretty well. And then they did some testing up on the stage and then they said, okay, we'll call you. And so about three months later, they called me and uh, got to go down there. My mom and dad came down from Victoria. It was pretty fun. And uh, I was the first Manitoban ever on the show. And, oh, wow. okay. uh, you know, I defeated the defending champion, but uh, this woman from Hartford uh, uh, beat me by just a few bucks. So it, uh, it was a lot of fun. It would have been more fun if I had won uh, more money instead of furniture and, and nice dishes, which I, which I still have. Oh, you want a reputation. <laughs> so that, uh... yeah, it was super fun. I just, I wish I would have won more just to play more. Cause it was, it was just great. Yeah. So you ended up winning how many rounds then? Well, none. <laughs> like, I oh, came like second. is it is I it the second. first? Oh, I see. Okay, because you said you were beating this the defending champion, but you meant in the I, he answers. He came third. He came third. Oh, okay. I had right. a big right. lead, Garrett. I had a big lead in the first round, but these categories. First of all, everyone's ringing in on every uh, like, especially at the top of the board. There was one. You know, you and I were just talking about uh, books on tape. Uh, there was one category: lawyer authors. I knew all five of them, and I didn't. I didn't get in once. And then in the second round, there were some tough categories that I didn't really know very well. And um, so it worked out okay. Like I said, I came second. It was a, And it was a lot of fun. But they do five shows uh, all in a row. Like they do a week's worth of shows in, in one day. So, so they tell you, one of the things that your listeners might find interesting, they tell you, uh, you got to, like, so you show up like with a garment bag and, and you, you're supposed to bring three outfits. Uh, just in case you win. Oh, so it's like, oh, today, today is tomorrow type of thing. And well, yeah, it was. It's a Monday, Tuesday. They do two weeks of shows on on a on a Monday, Tuesday. So if you if you win, you know, at the end of Monday, you'd you'd come back the next day, but it would be the next week of of. Uh, and it's I think it's usually about two months. And then I couldn't tell anyone how it went. Right, you have to sign off. Right. Yeah. Oh, that must have been tough. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, that, that's great. 25 years ago now. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, 90s. No, I, 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 had, to, I had to ask. Uh, I've always wanted to, and we've, we've said it in passing, but uh, this is my show. I can ask what I want. So, so let's get back to it. What, uh, like HR, human resources, what makes you so passionate about the business of HR? That's a great question. And it is a business. And a lot of people like I am and I'm a business person, just like you, Garrett, just like lots of your listeners. I am not. Uh, sometimes HR can get a bad reputation that, you know, it's kind of mushy, feel good. You know, so like we're not social workers. Right. And we also are not representatives of the employees. Like there's an M in HRM in HR management. And it stands for management. We're a strategic part of a business, just like marketing, just like accounting, finance, operations, etc. So I've always viewed it that way. And and as mentioned, uh, you know, going back to school and doing an MBA, uh, that really helped me um, uh, from an HR perspective in terms of being part understanding. I'm not an expert on on finance or operations, but I know a little bit about it. So that's helped me in my career. Okay. So one of the reasons I wanted an HR person on a real estate podcast, you know, scalability, right? I mean, I know this when I was first starting out, but I, I you know, you go to any, all, all the Facebook groups, uh, one of the main questions is, oh, what, what should I do for my first hire? Or, I, I'm running around and I, I'm not finding deals because I'm doing all this admin stuff. So tell us why someone would want 
to outsource their HR instead of, you know, keeping it in house if they happen to have an assistant or something? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, that's a great question. It, you can't you can't do it all, right? And and as my business started to grow, I started to realize that I couldn't do it all. I needed to have people on my team. I needed to have contractors and employees that could do because you can't you can't be everywhere, right? You need to. You, it's a cliche, but it's true. You can't be. Uh, you, you know, you need to be working on the business, not in the business. So so people people need to hire the right people uh, uh, to work for them, and uh, we we help them do that, right? You, like I said, you 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 just can't do it all yourself. So, I mean, I could, you know, my business partner in BC, she jokes that, you know, she doesn't cut her own hair, right? I don't change the oil on my, uh, on my infinity. I could do it, but it would be messy and it would be time consuming. And I probably wouldn't really do that good a job, right? So some things you have to outsource and, and HR can be one of them, whether you have like probably 5% of my clients have an HR department. And they just bring us in as an extra set of hands or an extra set of eyes on something that they don't do regularly and they need some help. So they've got some HR people, but it, if it's terminations, career transition, that might be part of terminations. If it's a, an employee survey, if it's a new employee handbook, like we do that, we do that stuff. Like I'm doing everything that I just mentioned. We're doing all of that this week. So we, we you know, we know what we're doing. And so we can do it cheaper and, and quicker. And so that's why you'd want to outsource it, whether whether you have HR people or if you don't have HR people, like people are not good at firing, right? Like they don't do it that much, but we do it all the time and we do it well and we maintain the person's dignity and we keep lawyers away, right? I've fired more, more people than anyone in Winnipeg. I guarantee it. Wow. So, it, But it works. Our model works. So we're not just talking recruitment, right? I mean, I, I know that when uh, when I consulted with you and, and uh, engaged your firm to help us out. I, I had, again, an administration manager. I was doing some HR as well. But then I found out, you know, uh, we, I remember we, we did a, a great employee manual and you, you had all of these different things. Um, but I, I, I think HR, people think of those traditional recruitment firms. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the two different models and, and how, Stone is, how Stone differs? On, on the recruitment? Just just those firms out there, right? There's a model out there. I believe they charge, I don't know, you you, you know these numbers. They charge a percent on, I don't know, what is it, somebody's salary to find you That's somebody? Right. Yeah. Or? yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we've talked about a few different things from it uh, on, on that we do in HR. I, I like to think, or I think, that our business is kind of half general HR, a lot of those things we mentioned already, and then it's half search. And so we don't, we're not headhunters and, and we're not, we're, we're certainly not discount headhunters. We believe in helping companies hire, helping individuals. We're often working, we, we work with some nonprofits. Uh, we work with sport organizations, some religious organizations, uh, you know, places like the Festival de Voyageur. We work with different uh, nonprofit organizations, but I'd say about 80% of our business is companies like yours, Garrett, where we're dealing directly with the owner operator that has five or, or 50 employees. And they're not, they're great at a lot of things, at, but they might not be great at hiring. There's a lot to it, right? Posting an ad, spreading the word, uh, looking at the different candidates. And the other thing, you know this already, Garrett, like we know the marketplace too. We know Winnipeg. 
if someone is applying for an admin assistant position, not all of them, but some of them we know for good reasons and bad, right? And so that's where, again, someone says, I can just post that on Indeed myself. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. But we can do it quicker, we can do it faster, we can do it cheaper, and we can just do it better than, than you can. And does that cost some money? Yeah, of course it does. But it's always reasonable. Zero billing disputes in nine years of business. So the two models we have to finally answer your question, sometimes if we were hiring an admin assistant, for example, we would charge an hourly rate. We would we'd write an ad, uh, we'd post an ad, we pay for the ad, then we just take whatever those costs are and add them uh, to the invoice. And we find people, we might, some clients want us a full, full white glove treatment. We're, we're doing the whole thing up to and including, you know, and then the, on the, on the, on the back end, referencing, uh, offer letters, all that. We'll do all that stuff. Some clients just want us out there kind of bird dogging and finding the right people for them. We'll do that too. So that's the hourly model. Then we have a salary, not salaried model, a flat rate model for tougher to find positions for managerial or executive positions where we would just charge a flat rate, not based on the salary. Okay. Cause it, it that part doesn't matter to us. We shouldn't make more money because the person is getting paid more. We need to get, we need to get compensated for the work that we do. So we would charge a flat rate and it's very reasonable. It might be 7% of salary. It might be around 10% of salary. What you're referencing is some headhunters that might charge 20 or 25%. Mm-hmm. We, That's the number we, that was kind of in my head. Yeah, we don't do that. And the other thing that gives headhunters a bad name, uh, you know, sometimes some of them have a bad name. Some real estate agents have a bad name. And it, it's because they're not always ethical, right? And they're poaching clients, even their own clients. We, we don't do that kind of stuff ever. Does that help? Yeah, uh, absolutely. No, I, it, it really clears it up. I, I know that, obviously, I know that we were doing some hourly stuff with you, but I, I do get approached, as I'm sure other business owners do, from some of these headhunting firms. And, you know, always, I just wanted the audience to sort of delineate the difference there. I, it's, a, it's an overused term. I, I, I don't know if I'd call us disruptors, but we do it, we do it in a different way. And people seem to like, we don't do work with Canada Life. Right. We're, we're working again with owner operators, with nonprofit businesses. We and we work hard to help them keep the cost down. We're, we're still making money. Don't worry. But uh, but the client is getting very, very good value. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's the uh, definition of a win win. Right. When both parties are doing what they're supposed to and they both get great results. Let's transition and talk about new hires. You know, I, I've I've learned a lot from you, and I, I want the audience to hear some of these things and some of the, these golden nuggets here. What do you recommend an employer do to get the most out of a new hire? Well, first of all, hire the right person, right? That sounds easy, right? You know, everything, and you've heard me talk about it. My staff and my old students heard me talk about it. I talk about it every day. Everything we do from a people perspective should be about attraction, retention, engagement. And if it's not about those things, then, then then why are we doing it? So we need to be able to, first of all, attract the right people. And so when you get someone helping you out, I mean, it's one thing, Garrett, for you to talk to folks and, and you're talking about how great Upper Edge is. That's fine. It's better 
when someone else is, you know, it's hard to be a prophet in your own land. So it's better when someone else is out there singing your praises and, and saying, hey, look, this is a good company. So, so we want to hire good people. And then, of course, we want to keep them. We want to keep them engaged, right? My definition of engagement is people that give discretionary effort, people that go over and above. You've got some great employees. Lots of people don't have great employees because they're not great managers, right? So manage your people, pay your people a decent wage, have lots of um, things you do to engage your folks at work. Matching RSP plans, uh, corporate social responsibility, just having a good workplace. Like, a be- you know, one of my clients is Anthony Allen Office Furnishings. They're one of my biggest ones. They make beautiful offices for people to come to. That's how you retain uh, uh, folks in the workplace. You know, giving them time off, treating them well, listening to them, surveying them. Like there's, you know, a thousand different engagement factors. But, you know, people, and it's an overused cliche, but it's totally true. Like people don't quit companies, they quit bosses. So treat, treat your employees well, right? Listen to them, uh, help them, help their, their careers advance, right? Spend time with them. These are all the kinds of things you need to do to attract, retain and engage people. You know, I work with some companies and I'm like, okay, when's the last time you had, you know, performance conversations with employees? What? Right. Okay. That's no good. Right. People want to know how they're doing. Did you know that there is a big difference between investing in real estate and becoming a real estate investor? People become real estate investors all the time. They get into a flip or conversion project or even dealing with long-term tenants. And they come back to us to tell us the same thing. It's like having another full-time job. I don't know about you, but that's not what we call investing. Investing in real estate is about having your money work for you in a way that is passive, consistent, most importantly, hands-off. So which one are you? Do you want to be a real estate investor or do you want to invest in real estate? For those that are open to investing in real estate and having your money work for you, listen up. Garrett Wong has spent decades helping thousands of property owners navigate the ins and outs of property investing and management through his award-winning company, Upper Edge Property Management. Their new division, Upper Edge Capital, is currently involved in multiple projects, from single-family flips to multifamily development. Are you looking for a healthy return on your invested capital, or perhaps becoming a joint venture partner? If so, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to book a time to speak with Garrett and his team to see if there is a fit. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. Now back to the show. You worked with me quite a bit on on those that sort of that first week, first day type thing. And I know that I, 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 I like to think I'm fairly organized. I had a a new employee checklist that was maybe half a page long. And you and I expanded that to almost three pages. And one of the things that resonated with me, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, I can't remember exactly what you said, but something to the effect of you want to give that employee on their first day, such an experience that when they go home and their partner, spouse, whatever asks them, how was your day? You want them to be really saying how how great of a day it was instead of how stressful it was or first day jitters and all that type of thing. 
Yeah, no, you've got a good you've got a good memory, and I've and I've used that example many many times. Uh, like one hundred percent of the time, conversation at dinner on that person's first day with their loved ones is, "How was your day?" And if the answer to that is, "I'm not sure," then you get a big F, right? So you think about the time and money uh, and and energy that goes into hiring people, right? But it's all for naught if you don't orient on board them right. So you're right, Garrett. You mentioned earlier you were talking about an employee handbook, and I've said I've said this to many people, and I know you've done it. Like you, you know, Sally's starting on on February 28th. So you know, most people would give that employee handbook on the first day, right? And it would be on their checklist, which is great. You should have a checklist. You know, 74% of people in a McKinsey study said that they've showed up at work on their first day and people were surprised to see them. Except like <laughs> three out of four people. That's yeah. terrible, right? Yeah. But if you know Sally's starting, right? And I can think of, you know, when I was an HR director and I had my new assistant was starting the next day and it's like 530 and her office isn't ready and I've got the Windex out, I'm cleaning it up. Like you don't, again, another cliche, but you don't get a second chance to make a good first impression. So again, back to your manual, if you know, you know, Sally's starting, spend $9. It might be the best $9 you've ever spent. Call a local courier, send it over to her house, right? or her apartment or whatever, then she's got it. It's sitting on the coffee table. Her dad looks through it while, while he's watching a Jets game or her husband or whatever. Hey, hey, this looks good. Upper edge. This looks like a good company. Oh, yeah, I've seen some other signs around. Sally, you've made a good choice. So this all goes back, and this isn't mushy HR stuff. This is brand HR stuff. This is marketing HR stuff. Is It all goes back to... Uh, buyer's remorse and reducing buyer's remorse or the potential for buyer's remorse. And you can do that if you're on, to, uh, my sermon's almost over here. You can do that just with a little bit of good manners, Garrett. So when I tell people this story that I just told you for the last two minutes, they're always like, oh, that's such a good idea. I never thought of that, right? It's just good hosting. Yeah. No, I, uh, I followed that to a T and I can't tell you, well, how much the engagement was, right? One of the other things that you had suggested was, you know, take him out to lunch the first day, right? It's stressful enough. Um, and I've, I do that on all of my new hires now. And we're not allowed to talk about the job, you know? And, and I've found if I don't have that time that first week and it's deferred for two or three weeks and then I have the lunch, it's all about work. That's all they want to talk about is work. And then you don't get to know them as a person, right? Like you want, I try to, you know, during that that lunch hour, just to, I don't know, tell them my vision, you know, those high level things, but just to get me to know me as a person. You know, one thing that you said to your point, cleaning out the window or bringing out the Windex, I'm embarrassed to say that I've I've been that employer that, you know, to use your your name there example, Sally left the company. And so, you know, Susan starts and I point to the corner and yeah, you know, that's your cubicle and they open up the drawer and there's bits of gum wrappers and other detritus in there. It's not a good first impression and they feel like they're, they're secondhand, 
right right on day one. It's not it's not great. Yeah, I I love that that you that you employ that and going out for lunch on the first day. And you know, one of the things I've got a little like you said, a checklist, but a, a package orientation package, and I use a, a template from a guy who lives two doors down from me, who's a, in River Heights, who's a client. And, and I, you know, he, I saw, I got copied on an email he sent a couple of years ago and I said, Oh, can I use this? You know, he sends a note out very simple, probably took him 45 seconds. Hey, Manon, we're excited that you're starting on, you know, this is on Friday. We're excited you're starting on Monday. This is going to be just great. Um, here's some of the stuff we're going to do, by the way, don't bring your lunch. We're going out for lunch, you know? So that woman, I guarantee you when she read that on her phone or computer, turned to her husband or her friend and said, Hey, I just got a note from my new boss. Isn't this a good company I'm joining? Right. All it's just good manners. Yeah, no, it's, uh, we just did an employee survey. So thank you for that. And, uh, just yesterday, actually, I was just reading the results and engagement is at an all time high. And, you know, one of the things my directors of operations told me, uh, when I asked him, long time ago, you know, what do you think about working here? And he says, you know, financial compensation is good, but a lot of people he's found in his career is emotional compensation, not just financial. And and a lot of people don't put a lot of stock into that, especially on the employer level, right? But it, but it's a real thing. 100%, 100%. Like companies that unionize, I mean, that, that that's a fail. If a company unionizes, certifies a union, to bring someone in to help them talk to their bosses, that's a failure of management, right? But companies do not unionize because of wage or benefits. It's because of bad management. It's because of not listening. So uh, I, I didn't know you had done a recent survey. I love it. When you say, the, let me turn the tables for a second. When you say that engagement is up, what, like what, what key indicators or what question was, was, uh, was the most telling for you to, to, to help determine, and it's not, are you engaged? What other question did you ask that helped you determine that? I think it was the comments that came through. Um, things like, I love where I work. Um, management is very open. I, I feel protected and safe that I can ask questions. I, I think there's a compensation question in there. Nobody mentioned that, right? They're all talking about the other things that keep them at work and how great the company is. And everybody's helping each other and they feel like a team. It's not a cliche. Love it. It's, it's feels good. feels good. Yeah. I would add in there for you. Like if you, that the verbatim comments are gold, right. And, and, and you can find out good stuff, like you said, but I can think of other places where, you know, I, we got all these complaints about that. This is a, a brokerage company. We got all these complaints about the chairs, right. And we're like, what? Yeah. And people are like, my chair sucks. And then the owner comes out and says, okay, who wants to be on the chair committee? And a few people put up their hand. This is like the same day that we came up with the results. Uh, okay, you, you, and you, we're going to Costco. Let's buy 12 new chairs, right? Like that, that's engaging, right? That's people, my opinion counts, right? When they answered that question next year. But the number one, it, for your listeners, they might find interesting, the number one, uh, and you can track this year over year, it, the number one question to de determine engagement is, uh, and there's lots of good ones, like my opinion counts, uh, or I'm proud to work for Upper Edge. Uh, those are good ones, really good ones. The best one is, uh, I would recommend this as a place for my friends or family to work. Mm. And if people mm -hmm. strongly agree with that statement using the you know Likert scale of, of one to five, 
if they strongly agree, they're engaged. And when they're engaged, they're going to do more work for you. And they're not going to shut their computer down at, at 420, right? They're going to shut it, shut it down at 440 because they weren't quite done their work. Right. Yeah. No, I, that's how uh, we make, that's how we make more money through having good people. Yeah. And when engagement is high, the care factor is there and, and it's infectious. Everybody knows, you know, the one poisonous personality. And, and if you don't take care of those things as a manager, everybody sees that you're not doing it. So they think, oh, well, if management doesn't care, why should I? And it, it goes downhill so fast. Yeah, it's incredible. Oh, 100%. I'm learning stuff from you here today. I just wrote down that care factor. Good one. <laughs> well, uh, glad to help. You know, it's, uh, what is it? February 2023, because I'm sure this, I'm hoping this podcast will stand for years on iTunes and Spotify. But, um, you know, COVID, right? The last few years, it's been a pretty wild time in the world of HR. Um, we've had COVID, we've had people being laid off people being rehired, people not wanting to be rehired, and now working remotely. Um, how do you think the landscape has changed now that working remotely is considered a normal part of employment? Yeah, I, I thought you'd ask me this, and, I, and I, wish I, I wish I had a better answer. My views on it change regularly. At, you know, I'll give you a consultant answer. It depends. Some people can work from home, right? You've, you've got a good setup at home. And, and uh, your family probably doesn't bug you and you can probably get more work done. Not everyone has that. Also, lots of people don't have the discipline uh, to, to, to work at home either. Uh, some people don't have the setup. Some don't have the discipline. There's, but the other thing is uh, you can't build culture on Zoom or Teams. And you need to have that interaction. You need to have that interaction with your boss. You need to have that interaction with your colleagues. You need to have that water cooler talk. You know, there's a, there's a reason, you know, before we, uh, before the pandemic five years ago, people called it kind of telecommuting. That term doesn't, isn't being used as much anymore, but like HP outlawed that stuff, right? They need people to come into the office. They need people to talk about what's going on and be able to collaborate. And so, Maybe it is old school, but it seems like most of my successful clients, they need people in the office. I don't know if that answers your question. Well, um, it does and it doesn't because the reality is there are people who work remotely, right? And let's say that you have somebody who can work remotely and you know their, their home environment is you know, conducive to good work and quiet and not being disturbed. But that thing of engagement that you're talking about, right? I mean, if if you're the one out of 20 employees that is allowed to and chooses to work from home uh, and you're working in a bubble, you miss all of the water cooler stuff. So how do, how do you keep those people engaged? What would your advice be to those employers? Well, you, yeah, I mean, having, notwithstanding all the stuff we've been talking about for, for a couple minutes on this, I also believe in results-only work environments. And so if you're getting the results... Uh, and, and you're working from home and that works for you and that works for your boss and you and your boss have regular check-ins and you and your colleagues have regular check-ins with opportunities to, co to collaborate. And, you know, as, as, the, as the pandemic wore on, you saw more or people getting better at Zooms, right? It wasn't just lo log in. It was, hey, let's like actual structured stuff like, hey, tell me what happened on the weekend or, you know, 
Jimmy, you're in charge of telling a joke this week on the Zoom or whatever, right? So you have to be able to do that kind of stuff. So you build community so that you try your best to, um, uh, to build culture. But having said that, you know, when you've got folks that work remotely and, and I'm not talking about, you know, the model of having people working in different countries absolutely can work. I'm talking about the model of people not, even though they live only five minutes away or, or 50 minutes away, not being in work. Like, you know, if you get hired that way and you just work from home and you don't have a place that you go into regularly, you're, you're a free agent and someone else is going to offer you an extra thousand dollars or an extra two bucks an hour or whatever it is. And I'm just not sure where the loyalty is going to be. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to challenge you on that a little bit because, um, you know, as you know, I have a mix of remote employees and, and actual office staff in our bricks and mortar office here in Winnipeg. And we, I think I'm successful at it because I treat the environment the same. Okay. I'm very purposeful, you know? So if the audience can take anything from me on this, when I say that, what I'm saying is don't make work a better place than remote. Like it's going to be, there's going to be coffee and donuts at the water cooler. And, and then the person who's logging in on Zoom is like, oh, well, I wish I could have my donut today. That sucks, right? That's, that's a negative thing, right? So when we, when we have a staff party, um, even though some are at the office, it's on Zoom, right? It's, uh, I actually have the camera going in the boardroom. You know, everybody can see each other. We're doing trivia. I've bought lunch for everybody. Um, but now it's being delivered to their home rather than them having to come pick it up and then go. You know what I mean? So it's it's just keeping everything fair. Yeah, you're. Yeah, you're. I mean, not everyone's like you, Garrett, right? Because you work it. Because you because you're a smart guy and you're a good business person, and and people should work to emulate that. And like you said, it's purposeful. And you're reading my mind. I've I've done that too, where I've done training in class training. But then some people are online and yeah, we did, we sent Subway to their house, right? It's pretty easy to do. It just requires a, a, a little bit of effort and maybe a little bit of money, but you have to treat people fairly. So I, I fully agree with you. And I'm not trying to suggest that, that everyone needs to be uh, coming into the workplace because it, it, there's different models out there, but you need to treat people fairly and the same. And yeah, and I think you, you have to work at it harder. Yeah, I, I think that's the lesson here for the audience. If you want to have a remote employee, and remote employee, pardon me, you have to work at it. And um, you know, so I, I think my next question for you is: What suggestions would you have for employers to ensure they get the most out of their remote workers? I think we we've touched on a few of those things. Like one, one is is staying in touch with them, and it's communication, and it's regular communication. Employees need to be able to predict what it is that they're boss is looking for on, on a regular basis and, and employers need to have that of their employees. So, uh, you know, setting those targets and KPIs in terms of results, but also in terms of communication, that that's the absolute key. And then the second is what we also just talked about is, is recognizing that they're not there, but how do we still uh, be an inclusive environment for them? You know, it's interesting. So I have, I started out with a remote they call them VAs, virtual assistants. I don't even like to use that term because an employee to me is an employee. 
But Fursi was um, our very first uh, hire, more, we call him the test tube baby because I, I didn't know. This was before COVID. I wanted to see what would happen with a remote employee. Um, so Fursi's now been with us for four years. I've never met him in person, right? Lives in Mexico. I'm jealous because uh, you see sunshine when we've got minus 30 on our on our sh screen share at the bottom there. But um, one of the things that resonated with me when I was interviewing him was, you know, how do you, because he had already worked remotely as a translator, you know, what do you do to, to ensure that you're, you're productive at home? And, you know, so this is something for those employers and remote employees to take home here. He says, I, I treat it like a job. Now, everybody says that, but he goes, no, like, really, I, I get up, I shower, I shave, I change into my business attire, and, and I turn on my computer, and I'm, I'm in a different room, right? He said, yes, the TV is there, but if I'm not in my sweats and my, my T-shirt and whatever, I don't feel like I'm at home, and I can separate it that way because he's done those, those routines, right? And... Um, and that resonated with me, and that's and I hired him. And again, it's been four years. It, and and that's a good answer. And I think back, even this is way before uh, the days of, of Zoom. Uh, I had a phone interview. This is twenty years ago. I lived in downtown Vancouver, and uh, I had a phone interview on a Saturday. And and my wife, we had just gotten married, and and uh, you know I was about to get on the call, and she's like, "You you got to put on a, sh a shirt and tie and a jacket." And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" She said, yeah, it'll make a difference. And you know, I got the job. So I, maybe it did, right? Maybe it did work. You know, we've got federal government employees that none of them want to come back to work and their unions fighting to not get them back to work. And hey, I get it. They want to be on conference calls while they're emptying the dishwasher. I get that. But again, there needs to be stuff in place from a communication perspective, from a expectations perspective of uh, the work that you that you need done. So I, I love this example of of the guy that's getting up and shaving and, and going to work. The other thing is people need some discipline. Like I, I don't know about you, Garrett, but when I'm at home, like uh, I'm not I'm not eating that well uh, versus <laughs> versus this this try to try to be healthy stuff that I would bring into the office, right? So you got yeah, you got to keep away from the fridge and the TV. You got to have discipline. Yeah, for sure, and it it, it isn't for everybody. Um, I think people who choose to work remotely or for employers who are allowing or enticing workers to work remotely, you know, you're, you're, you're offering and advertising a lifestyle, right? Um, for somebody who maybe they live an hour outside and, and they're shave, shaving two hours of commute, right? That's, so, and that's different, but that it's not like that in, in Winnipeg. It's not like that. Nowhere, nowhere's really, uh, all, all that far away. Well, Half an hour commute both ways. It's an hour compared to jumping out of the shower and turning on Zoom. hundred percent. Except there's something you're forgetting, Garrett. A lot of these employees of yours, they have they work for you or they work for other companies. They have another job though, and I'm not talking about a side hustle. I'm talking about their other, maybe more important job of being a mom or dad, right? And so, like when I think about, we were talking before about you know books on tape. Um, you know, I used to, I lived in downtown Vancouver, about 20 minutes uh, from uh, from my office. And, and I walked home every day. And sometimes people would be like, Derek, do you need a lift? I'm like, no, like I need this time, right? And so I'd suggest to you, tell me if you agree with me, like 
If your commute home is walking up the basement stairs and you have to go from, uh, a, you know, a, a business person role to dad, mom or dad role in 30 seconds, I don't think that I, I think a lot of people can't do that. I agree. You know what? I Yeah. Maybe you made me turn my head there, Derek, because uh, I remember even at my when I was working at our office and, you know, I live about 20, 25 minutes away from the office that that downtime right whether you're listening to a podcast or just putting on spotify or just silence driving through traffic letting the stress bleed off right one of the uh a good friend had said to me no matter what happens this is pre remote work pre pre covid when i get home i sit in the driveway for 30 seconds and i say to myself no matter what happened at work what type of person do i want to be when i walk through that door right do I want to be the father that greets everybody? Do I want to be the great husband, you know, the great partner? Or do I want to be a crank because somebody has ticked me off at work and you bring that home into the door? And I thought that was really, really good advice just to sit there for 30 seconds. But to your point, what do you do when you're in the basement? You know, meditate at the bottom of the stairs for five minutes? Maybe. Maybe, but maybe that's yeah, what that, they have. Maybe that's what some people have to do. Maybe they have to come to that that realization. I don't know, but uh, you know, uh, I'm learning here too, and I'm making a note of that because I think that is something that I want to implement in my company ASAP. Is just, yeah, how do you how do you create separation? How do you create that buffer that that transition between work and then home life when you're working remote? Because I have so many remote workers. Yeah, I'd, I'd say. I, just, just to add on to that, one of the positives that I've no, noticed is like, you know, when you are on Zoom or Teams or what, or or even on just on the phone, and like the dog walks by or there's kids or nobody cares anymore, right? Like in, in back in, I, I'd say a few years ago, people were like, oh my god, I'm so embarrassed. I can think of that one where uh, there was this British politician that was on, that was on TV, and the kid. Oh right, the uh, cat thing, right? Was no, that it the- was. I, I think I know that one, but I saw another one where, you know, the kid came into his study, I guess. And then the, the mom is trying to get, pull the kid back out yeah, the door yeah. and, and it, and it went viral. And I, I was thinking, so what? No, no one cares anymore about that. Yeah, so I, I think no. that's actually a positive. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. hundred percent. Final question. Sound like Jeopardy, don't I? <laughs> Final question. Okay. I'm bet I'm betting it all here. All right. Um, No, I I ask every guest this question, and I'd like to hear what you have to say. So this is the Invest to Win podcast, W-I-N. So winning, how do you define success? And what does winning look like for you? Yeah, well, two things. I mean, for for me, winning is is when I can provide services and and companies that I work with or organizations grow, and then they need more services of mine, and they uh, and they keep calling me back. I mean, that's that's winning, right? Uh, that's like when I'm having I've had like I have fun every day in my job, right? And no one's no one's yelling at me like to, to the beginning of our uh, uh, podcast. So to me, that's winning. Where I'm providing, it, you know, it happens all the time. I, I run into people that I help place somewhere. I don't always remember them, right? But you know, or I, or I taught them, like I just had someone just yesterday, I taught them at Red River and I recommended her for a job at one of my clients and she, she got the job. Right. So to me, like that's, that's winning, right. When you can have, or, 
you know, I, I run into someone and they say, Hey, you know, when you did this, when you helped me with like that changed my life. Like I, I maybe don't even remember it that well, but it obviously had an effect on them, uh, which is wonderful. So to me, that's, that's winning for my clients. I, you know, again, it goes back to, you know, hiring better employees that'll help you, you know, grow a business and be more successful and then hire even more employees, right? And continue to, and, and making money. I mean, we live in a capitalist society. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with us wanting to make money, right? And what do, and what can we do with that money? No, it's, uh, I've asked that question a lot. And I don't think a lot of people talk about, they don't say money. I mean, I imagine I will have a guest that does say that eventually, but it'll probably be in a different, slightly different context. But certainly, you know, the success of your clients and the success of your business uh, is evident through your passion. Well, that's, a, that's, that's nice of you to say. Yeah. You know, not all my clients are as good as you, uh, Garrett, just to give a little bit of love and mush to you. Yeah, I mean, you listen to the things that we talk about, right? And you've, you've um, uh, alluded to some of them. Uh, during our, our short time together. There's there's lots of things that we can do to make things better for employees, to make things better for companies. And and this is not, and you've heard me say this before. I mean, you have a science mind. I don't, right? I don't know how to do trigonometry. But this stuff isn't the, the good news is a lot of this HR isn't isn't trigonometry. It's like like with a lot of things in life, it just requires a little bit of planning and a little bit of thought. And, and some good manners. Well, we'll, uh, we'll put your information down in the show notes so people can get in touch with you if they need your help. And uh, you know what? I, I had a blast. I can't believe the time is over already. And uh, I, I, I had a fantastic time. I'd like to just thank you for hanging out with, with me here for this last hour. Well, good, good luck on this great venture, uh, Garrett. I'm glad, I'm glad that you're doing this. And thanks very much. I'm honored to, 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 be, one of your, uh, to be one of your guests. All right. Thanks a lot, Derek. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Investing to Win podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of another investor, take a screenshot and share this podcast episode with them. Investing to Win is not only about helping you to win more, but WIN actually stands for Wise Investors Network. It's where we help our investors build a hands-off portfolio and have passive investments work for them. To see how you can potentially partner with us, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to learn more. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. All links can be found in the description below. Until next time.